Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it speaks as loudly and clearly today as it did in the time of Habakkuk. We pray that you would encourage us, challenge us, strengthen us in our faith. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I wish I had your faith. I wish I had your faith. Has anyone ever said that to you? You sometimes hear people say that of Christians. They say, do you know what? I wish I had your faith. And sometimes as a believer, you, you sit there and you think, oh, do you? Because it, it's, it's not all a bed of roses, is it? Having faith. It's not all super duper easy and fun. Sometimes having faith makes things a little bit harder, in fact. But faith, our faith, must be resilient because we live by faith, don't we? Faith is a, it's a little bit like, you might think of it as a, a bridge across a, a chasm that we're going to, to walk across. And sometimes your bridge might be rickety rope bridge or it might be a, a strong steel bridge. Well, that's not quite what faith is. More precisely, faith is our walking across that bridge, isn't it? And our faith has to be resilient. The prophet Isaiah, um, prophesying in a similar time period in Israel's history to Habakkuk, challenged one of Israel's kings, Ahaz, with this message from God. He said, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. That's a strong message for us. If you don't stand firm in your faith, you won't stand at all. Or how about the Lord Jesus speaking to his disciples in the upper room? He says, you believe in God, you have faith in God, have faith in me. You've got to have faith in Jesus. He's the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. You have faith in God, have faith in me. Or later on in the New Testament, we read in the book um, of Hebrews, the writer says this to the church, you need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For just in a little while, he who is coming will not will come and will not delay. That's a quote from Habakkuk. And my righteous one will live by faith and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. So our faith has got to be resilient. But you don't need me to tell you that our faith can be shaken. Of course it can. There are many, many things that shake our faith. But perhaps the wicked prevailing over the righteous is a major obstacle to faith, isn't it? It's a major obstacle. Injustice is an obstacle to faith. Just think of the last few days when um, the post office scandal has been in the news. And if you've read that or if you've seen the, the TV drama and perhaps felt your blood boil at the injustice happening to, to people who have done right and done nothing wrong. But here in the book of Habakkuk, the injustice we're thinking about is not general. It's a bit more specific than that. It's injustice against God's people. That is what we're thinking about in the book of Habakkuk. Let me read you some headlines from the Open Doors website to give you a snapshot of the sort of thing that we're talking about. The injustice against the righteous. Seven Christians arrested this Christmas in Iran. 
Believers shot dead at Christian's home in Laos. Fulani militants in Nigeria leave a pastor's wife and son dead. The wicked surround the righteous. And have you ever felt in that scenario, what is God doing? What are you doing? It's supposed to be your people. I mean, maybe there is injustice in the world, but what about these people? Our faith has got to be resilient. But, and here's a but, our faith is not a work. So the message of the Bible is not have faith, have trust in Jesus, he's come to save you, and you've got to work really, really hard at having as much faith as you possibly can. And if you're feeling a bit weak in faith, well, that's a bit tough, isn't it? You have to try harder. That's not the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is that salvation is in Christ alone, and he gives us that faith as a gift. So faith is not our work. And so the book of Habakkuk here is good news. It's God's grace to us to strengthen our faith, to give us resilient, authentic faith. Because resilient faith, we're going to see in this first chapter of Habakkuk, is expectantly honest. Resilient faith is expectantly honest. Now Habakkuk is speaking around 600 BC. Israel have had a bad run of kings who have led them into wickedness. And as judgment, God is raising up a nation called the Babylonians, the superpower of the day. And they're kind of on the doorstep and they're getting bigger and bigger. And this book is a dialogue with God. It's really quite different as a prophecy. Look down at at verse 1 of chapter 1. The prophecy that the Habakkuk the prophet received, literally it's an oracle or a burden. That's the word there, a burden. If you're a doctor in a hospital and you've got bad news for a patient, the news of a terminal diagnosis, that's the burden that the doctor bears and comes round to the bedside with. And here Habakkuk has a burden that he's bringing to God's people. There is injustice within those who are supposed to be God's people. This is in, in Judah. So we read in verse 2, How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. Habakkuk can see destruction around him and violence. And did you, did you get that in the verse? Strife and conflict among those who are supposed to be God's people. But what we see in these first few verses, one to four, is that resilient faith is honest with God. And so that's what Habakkuk's talking about. Not far away issues um, of scandal, but within those who claim to be God's people. Some more headlines for you from the BBC website. Watford church leader got massages from young male interns. Mega church leader raped and tortured worshippers. It's supposed to be God's people. They're calling themselves God's people. This is the sort of thing that Habakkuk is bringing to God. 
And that injustice closer to home within the church, well, that will shake our foundations, won't it, to the core? It really will. Mistreatment, bullying, deception, manipulation, lies. Some of us here will know that firsthand, if not secondhand. We know. Some of the deepest scars that we carry are because of church. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that we, that we set up extra church institutions to investigate matters of safeguarding and justice because we might think, well, what's God doing about it? Can you imagine that 20 years ago, that we would be doing these things? Because that's the sad truth, it happens. And it happened in Habakkuk's day. People that were God's people by name... And yet there was injustice. And verse 4, Habakkuk says, look, the law is paralyzed. He's saying, look, it doesn't seem like your words are working, Lord. Okay, you've set up a people. You've given them your word. It's not working. Your people aren't being righteous. The Bible doesn't work. And Habakkuk does something about it. Now, I have a a friend called John... And he was telling me a story about a mutual friend of ours called Dave. And uh, John and Dave were, were at a meal together. And I don't know how you, how you are at complaining. How do you think Brits are at complaining? Do you think British people are good at complaining or bad? I think we're kind of both. We're really good at complaining about stuff, anything. How was your amazing holiday in a faraway country by the beach? Oh, yeah, a bit too hot for me, really. Um, anything we can find to complain about. In fact, the highest mark of happiness among a, among a British person is this. You say to a British person, how are you? And they'll say, can't complain. That's the highest mark of happiness. If you're American, that translates to, I'm winning at life. Yeah, I can't complain. We love to complain. We can complain about stuff. Now, back to Dave and John. They're at their meal. And Dave's meal was not good. came cold and the salad was awful. And they complained about it. And what do we do when that happens? We moan about, oh, this is, this is awful, isn't it? Oh, I can't, can't eat this. Then the waiter comes around. Everything all right with your meal, sir? Yeah, fine. Lovely, thank you. Yeah, lovely. We're good at complaining about things, but not, but not to people, are we? Now, our friend Dave, he's Australian. So he had no qualms about complaining. He called the waiter over and he says, I can't eat this. I can't eat this. This is cold and the salad is limp. And apparently he said, if I made this, I would not serve it. Can you imagine sitting there? You're cringe, aren't you? Don't say that. So we're not necessarily very good at complaining to people. But Habakkuk is. When it comes to God, we need to be a bit more like Dave. Because Habakkuk takes his complaint to God. He's honest. So we might complain about our faith or our God to each other. But when our God says to you, so how's your faith in me? Oh, no, fine. Very good. Thank you. Yep. All fine. No. Habakkuk says, no, bring it to God. That is the right posture. 
It almost borders on, you might think it was a bit rude. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? You're being idle, God. You're not doing anything. That's what Habakkuk's saying. Habakkuk doesn't have a sort of stoic is heroic kind of response and a stiff upper lip. No, no, we're all fine here, thank you. Nothing, nothing going wrong here. And, and turning up the volume on those treasured calendar verses. I know my plans for you. God works in all things for the good of those that love him. We turn them up louder and louder and louder, good verses though they are, to drown out and just push aside all the awkward stuff. Well, that's not what, that's not what Habakkuk does. And actually, that denying doubt and pushing it away, it doesn't really work. It doesn't actually connect, does it really? It doesn't feel quite right somehow. The world-renowned cellist, um, Yo-Yo Ma, was in a conversation about um, playing his pieces and talking about why he was not worried about imperfection. He might leave some bits in and not pursue the perfect performance. And apparently he said this. He said that perfection doesn't communicate. He's happy to leave the, the human bits in. What he means by that is that in his performance... It's the humanness, it's the kind of gritty, it's the bit that's not quite, that somehow is authentic. And there's something of that here, that that's authentic faith. You see, doubt is not really the enemy of faith in the Bible. Fear is. See, this side of heaven, I assume that we will believe imperfectly. Yeah, that must be right, mustn't it? That must be true, that we believe imperfectly this side of heaven. That's not a cause for shame. It's a cause to bring it to God. But also, we, we, we don't do another thing where we, where we just forget all the, the encouragements and the good verses and then just build up the bitterness. So I don't go online and, and grumble about my grumbles. I don't find like-minded people and form a faction away from the church to then grumble about the church. We don't do that either. So it's not faithful to ignore doubt or downplay the pain and the frustration. But Habakkuk shows us that the church here can model bringing that doubt to God. Do you know, it's been my experience in particular in conversation with people who aren't Christian that when doubt comes up, that's really fruitful conversation. Are people really going to believe it if they come among God's people with their own doubts and their own worries of God to find a group of people that are, no doubts here, nothing wrong here, faith is A-OK. That's not the reality, is it? But we can work through it as Habakkuk does. realistically, passionately, reverent, do you see? How long, O Lord, that covenant name, his God, bringing it to God. That's resilient, authentic faith. So resilient faith is honest. It's honest with God, but resilient faith is also expectant, expectant of God's answer. So God does answer, but he surprises Habakkuk. And he pushes Habakkuk 
to dig even deeper into what he knows. This is not the answer he wanted, but it's the answer he got. Verse 5, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings, not their own. God says, yeah, there is injustice, and guess what I'm going to do about it? I'm going to raise a massive, wicked superpower, and they're going to sort it out. And Habakkuk says, what are you doing? But God is at work. Habakkuk has complained to God, why do you make me look at injustice? Verse 5, what does, Habak- what does the Lord say to Habakkuk? Keep looking. Why do you make me look, Lord? And God says, well, keep looking. There's no turning away because, in fact, that's not the half of injustice that's on the face of the earth. Verse 11, they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose strength is their own God. There's a superpower on the move, but it's not outside of God's God's control. He's bringing like for like. There's wickedness in Judah, and the wickedness outside of Judah will match that and be an answer. If you need a sort of reminder of that kind of wickedness, it's the kings like King Manasseh, who was before Habakkuk's time, but, but those sins kept rebounding back. They came back like a bad penny. Two Kings talks about um, the sorts of stuff that Manasseh would do. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and he worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of, um, of which the Lord had said, in Jerusalem I will put my name. In two courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry hosts. So he's got his temple to God and then he's making idols to, to another God in there, right in God's face. He sacrificed his own son in the fire He practiced divination, sought omens, consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. And then later, the people did not listen. Manasseh led them astray so that they, the people, did more evil than the nations of the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. And God is bringing wickedness against this wickedness. But verse 12, Habakkuk is expectant. And he begins with truths. So look down at verse 12. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will, ne- will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You've appointed them, but notice how he starts. Do you see verse 11? What are these people like? Their own strength is their God. Habakkuk's response is, you, the Holy One, are my God. He starts with those truths. Now, is it it a bit ambiguous? Is he rebuking God or is he being reverent? Is he saying, okay, you're supposed to be the everlasting holy one and you're doing this? Or is he saying, yeah, but God, I know that you're everlasting and holy. And I think we have to conclude it must veer into that side of reverent as Habakkuk, as the prophet, as the book teaches us. But it's as if God has roused a bit more complaint from Habakkuk, isn't it? Pushing at Habakkuk's faith. Perhaps I kind of imagine a a boxing trainer who's really, you know, giving it to the 
to the, to the student a bit, almost a bit too much, but so that the student will fight back, and then he goes, yeah, that's it, that's what I'm talking about, come on, come on, bring it properly. It's almost as if I think that, that God is saying, look, Habakkuk, seriously at what's going on, and do come to me with it. And Habakkuk is saying this, how can you use evil to punish evil? He's saying, look, you, verse 14, you've made people like the fish in the sea, like the creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls them up with a hook. He catches them in his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, and he also rejoices in his glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net, burns incense to his dragnet, and by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food, and so on, and it keeps going. Like the net that just catches everyone. All of humanity is going to get done by, by wickedness, and there's no winner here. And Habakkuk's saying, verse 13, why are you silent? You're idle again, God. You're not doing anything. You're asleep at the wheel while all this is going on. But at the moment, there's, there's no conclusion, is there? And I think we have to just spend a moment to wrestle with this for a while. That, that sometimes, you know, God doesn't fit into our neat little boxes and we will be thinking, what are you doing? Lord, what are you doing in the world, in my life? But underneath here is some comfort, and we'll see more of it as we go through Habakkuk, that God is using this wickedness, but he was using it for his judgment. He will turn it to his good, because God is that powerful. He doesn't work despite wickedness, He doesn't work and then try and outdo wickedness and score more points. No, he just takes it, bends it, and uses it for his will. A sort of cosmic judo move that God does. And Habakkuk is left expectant. He's waiting. 2 verse 1. I will stand my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and I will answer. And what answer I am to give to this complaint. I'm going to just wait, says Habakkuk. I'm going to see, what have you got to say for yourself, thank God? Because I do expect that there is an answer. He's wondering how it will end. It's really interesting, isn't it? Have a look down at at verse 1. Do you see the, the wording of that? And what answer I am to give to this complaint? I think he's kind of saying, I want to know how this ends. I want to know how I'm going to end up feeling at the end of it. Am I going to have to come back to God again with another complaint? Or will he satisfy me? How is this going to end? But he's expectant. He's reverently come to God. He's, he's up there on the watchtower scanning the horizon for God's answer. Kind of picture him almost like, have you seen cats? You know, they, they stand there, don't they? Like kind of sentry guards sometimes outside their house. Just looking, eagle-eyed. And there is Habakkuk scanning the horizon, expecting his Lord, the everlasting Holy One, to answer, because God does have those answers. So, what about us? Well, when our faith is in the firing line, are we going to be in the bunker, cowering down, or are we going to be in the watchtower, expectant? Okay, God, what are you going to do with this? Show me, please. 
And I really want us to draw some encouragement from Habakkuk's kind of posture towards God because I think it reminds us that, you know, God is greater than your anger, stronger than your pain. He's more unbelievable than your disbelief. He's more faithful than your doubt. That's good news, isn't it? And what do we know? Do you know, as we scan the horizon in the Watchtower, we know even a little bit more than Habakkuk. We know that God is intimately acquainted with the wicked swallowing up the righteous, don't we? Because that is the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus. So we can see a little bit more on our horizon from that Watchtower than Habakkuk. And to ignore Jesus is to have no way through of God's judgment and works in the world. In the book of Acts, that's what Paul um, ends up saying to, to, to people who are not trusting that good news of Jesus. My friends, he says, I want to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is, is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin a righteousness, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law. So the law was going forth paralysed, not being able to bring forth righteousness. In forgiveness of Jesus that can happen. A justification you were not able to obtain under the law. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. Paul's saying, look, something like this is going to happen again. God's judgment suddenly rising up and and coming upon you. So don't be caught out. Because Jesus is there to save us from that. And we're only upright. That's the upright who aren't going to get swallowed up. The upright, the ones that God has brought to faith in the Saviour. We ended our passage this morning at 2 verse 1 and it's inconclusive and that is on purpose because I think there are seasons like this aren't there that echoes some of our seasons where there's a cliffhanger I'll station myself on the ramparts we get seasons like that things that are they're not wrapped up neatly we don't have the answers yet and if that's you today then look your faith has not gone wrong it's just got real. And on our horizon is the righteous one. Jesus, swallowed up by wickedness, and yet he is the one that can lead us through these times when God's ways are incomprehensible to us. How long, O oh Lord? That is a good question. And you know, such questions, they're not there to drive us away from God, but to draw us in let's pray together Father God thank you um, that though we may not understand them you have answers though we may not see it you have great care and love and compassion um, for each and every one um, of your children and we pray giving you thanks that you have made us righteous in the Lord Jesus but also in recognition that there is injustice and there is hurt even towards those that you've made righteous. Please help us in such times not to run from you, but to draw near to you, to be honest with you, and to be expectant 
that you will help us and guide us and be there for us. Please, Lord, we pray, would you give us a resilient faith in your mercy. Amen.